All right, welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in uh, the book of 1 Timothy. Um, we are going verse by verse through it. If you need a Bible, you don't have one, you bring one, uh, it will be on the screen, but if you want one, we'll give one to you. Raise your hand, one of our ushers will bring you one. It's our gift to you. If you know someone who needs one or wants one or uh, was looking to buy one uh, and you could give them a free option, take one. I tell people all the time, like, it's free is free. We love to, to give the Word of God, the Bible away. Um, and so one of my favorite things to do is when people call and ask, hey, Pastor, what, what, what version of the Bible should I get? I like, show up on Sunday, we'll give you one. It's free. And so we're in First Timothy, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, here we are. What we're looking at today, big idea, I want us to see that we're a family. The church of Jesus is a family, period. It is a family. God is our Father. Jesus is our big brother. And the Holy Spirit has united us who know, love, trust Jesus, and, and sealed us with his adoption. His spirit cries in our heart, and Romans 8 says, uh, Abba, Father, that he, we have a dad. The spirit of God bears witness that we are children of God. And we are a part of a, a local church, which is a, a local expression of the global church. Anyone who knows, loves, and trusts, follows Jesus worldwide, we're part of a family. We're part of the same family. Now, we just are, are a local expression of that. This is, that means we got aunts, uncles, cousins all over the globe that profess Jesus, know Jesus, don't even speak our language, but they're, they're part of the family. We will be with them uh, in the new heavens and new earth, reigning forever with Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And today what we're going to look at it is this family. And families can be complicated. Families can be dramatic. Uh, same in, in Timothy's day. And so Paul is writing to Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, and uh, he's going he's gonna to talk about how, the relationships in the church family. So if you're a guest with us, uh, I want you to know you're, you're kind of seeing behind the curtain of the, of the church today. If you're not a Christian, you're even seeing further behind. And I want you to know if you're not a Christian, you're here today, I want you to know this. That, that we're all, every person in here at once, at one point in time, was not a Christian. So that, just look around. Like God can, can save Folks. And additionally, there's, there's many people who they were not Christians when they first showed up here. People were serving, people who, were, who, were, who maybe greeted you on your way. And I don't know who greeted today, so don't, don't you know, quote me on that. But I'm just saying, the reality is, oftentimes if you're a guest with us and you're, and you're not a Christian, you're coming in, you're looking in, you're going, man, everyone is against me. I don't know what to think. I don't. And everyone in here has felt that before. No one's against you or for you. Uh, we hope that by the end of this, man, you'll want to be a part of the family. As Jesus has made us family, we want to invite you into to, to his family. But, but let's look at how he, uh, Paul, the, the writer of the book of uh, uh, 1 Timothy, instructs this young pastor, this young pastor, Timothy, to lead the congregation. So today's sermon is going to look like a family meeting. Pull up a chair. Let's listen. The church is a family. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, it says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. As you would a father. Many of you guys don't encourage your father, so this isn't going to be a struggle. And we have a lot to talk about here. Younger men as brothers. You fight with your brother. That's a struggle there. Older women as mothers. You resent your mother, so you have issues there. Younger women as sisters, which you don't talk to. And all impurity, which we're perverted in the United States, so we struggle. And this is really, like, we can't do this verse very well. They couldn't either. The, 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 the Greco-Roman world was, was just as messed up as we are today. I want us to see, though, just because uh, you have messed up family systems and, and you struggle here doesn't mean that God isn't it's speaking to us and it's just speaking to you today. And so first he says that men in the church are like fathers and brothers. And I want us to see that, uh, that we are fathers and brothers, uh, the, the men in the church, which they're, they're broken men, sinful men. The, the women in the church are, are to be are like mothers and daughters. They're, they're, they're not perfect either, sinful, broken. 
Everyone in here has, has been marred by sin, broken. So we're sinners by nature, meaning we inherited it from our, our first father, Adam. So it was a family curse that we inherited called sin. We've been uh, set free from the bondage of sin and slavery from our big brother, Jesus, if we know, love, and trust him. So we have power to overcome sin and death. But, but the reality is we're all broken, messed up, fractured people. And he says this, so how do you treat older men? And, and, and the reason why this is interesting is because Timothy's a young pastor. Last week we saw that he is supposed to not let anyone look down on him because he is young. Often happens with young pastors, those who are older look down on them. Maybe they, didn't have, they don't have the same degree as, as, as they do, or maybe they haven't lived as, uh, the same amount of life, or maybe they don't understand the issues. And we talked about Timothy stands on the authority of God's word. He commands God's word. God is his, uh, his ultimate authority, and he submits to the word of God. And so in this, Paul is telling Timothy, which through the word of God, to, to encourage older men. And when he says older men, uh, he, he's referring to anyone simply older than Timothy. It's probably likely that Timothy's in his um, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, or, and so he's at least talking about people 50 and up. That's for sure what he's talking about. He's, he's definitely talking about the, uh, what would be classified as, quote, elderly. I don't know where uh, you, we get a biblical number for that, so I'm not going to uh, comment on that right now. Uh, let's just say... Uh, those who, are, who, are, who could be Timothy's father or grandfather, right? At least those folks. But also, if you look around, and uh, uh, there's been times in our day in our church, we were so young when like the 20-something person was the older person to the 15-year-old. Like that was like, who's your elders? Like, I don't know, that guy's 25. He seems like he's got his life together. And the guy who's 50 does, is like, man, that 25-year-old doesn't have his life together. You see the, the relationship, the, 25, the 15-year-old to the, to the 25-year-old may be more, uh, maybe different than the, the one who's 50 to the, to the 25-year-old. It's different. So it's not classifying people and simply if you've uh, reached this point in your life and you've retired at this point or, or you've made this much income or you've, you've, you've advanced this far in your career, you're, you're in these classes. He's simply saying, hey, Timothy, there are fathers in the church and there are brothers in the church. To those who are father-like figures in the church, treat them and encourage them. He says, don't rebuke them. What he, what he means here is, is not that uh, the elder saints, those who are older than Timothy, don't sin. This is the only time this verb, this verb is actually used in the entire uh, uh, writings of Paul. Uh, this word, it's, it's translated rebuke. It, it's to deal harshly with. It's what it's referring to, to chastise, to deal harshly with. Um, and so what he's saying is just don't be harsh with the elderly saints. Respect them, encourage them like you would a father or a grandfather. See, the, the, what makes it hard and difficult for us is, is we live in a world that has uh, perpetually for, for many, 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 many years disrespected the role of a father. Watch any Disney movie. Go, go as far back as you can. The whole uh, Little Mermaid is a is a is the the main character the the most exciting thing is to disobey your father get out of the water meet a guy outside the presence of oversight and protection hey, we were even watching it in the in, in with my daughter one time she's like dad why is she not listening to her dad does she not know her dad loves her it's true this is the world we live in. Every single movie you watch, especially if you grew up in the 90s, uh, or even before that, the father was just a, uh, uh, I don't have any words I can say in the pulpit for this, uh, just not the guy you want to you know, follow, not a respectable guy. 
And the writers wrote that because people could relate to that, but additionally, it perpetuated this, this absentee father, this disrespectful disrespect towards fathers and father figures and, and grandfathers. And so we come to this, and it's like encourage him as you would a father. Many, many folks, ladies and uh, gentlemen here in the room go, I don't, I don't know that I've ever encouraged my father or my grandfather. So if that's where you're at, that's where you start. That's where you start. Your response today is to figure out ways you can encourage your father. Another way we can put it is to respect your father or grandfather. You're like, man, my dad wasn't very worthy of respect in any way. Well, is, is he, is, you know his name? Well, he at least introduced himself to you. There's one thing. You're like, man, that's the only thing I got. Start there. Well, he provided, not for me, but for another, another woman, another woman who's not my mom, and for some other children who are not my kid or not my brothers and sisters. He provided, but not for me, so I have resentment. Can you, can you encourage him? And is there something, maybe you saw his work ethic. Is there something you can respect? This is the whole thing when it came to presidential elections every time. It's like when one side can never say anything respectable of the other candidate, it means that they have a lost sight of reality. Every person living and breathing has dignity and value given to them by God because they're image bearers of God. Find something. And to the degree that you can't, it's not exposing their issues, but, but it's also exposing your issues. Ladies, is there, can you honor your father? Can you honor your grandfather? Can you show them dignity, value, respect? Additionally, can you do so, men, to your father, your grandfather? To the degree that you can't, that's where you start. What's going on in your heart? Because that, 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 then if you can't do that, how are you going to, man, if you're only encouraging the father-like figures in this room, in this church, then, then you're only doing half of it. You're, you, you are only doing it because they've done something in your mind that's worth respect and dignity. So therefore, when they do something that you disagree with or you don't like, you will then disrespect them like you've been taught to your entire life. Men are guilty of it. Women are guilty of it. That's why this text is so hard. I, I had five different versions of the sermon. I don't know which one we're in right now. This was, I think, the sixth. And so, he, and so to, to, to honor them, honor them. This is the same, comes out of the same command when, when we're told uh, to honor our father and mother, the fourth commandment. Uh, when we struggle to, to respect our fathers and grandfathers and we struggle to love our mothers, it really exposes not just the trauma maybe you went through, and it could be really real, but there's got to be forgiveness, there's got to be hope, there's got to be redemption. That, that is blood bought, that is a family gift that God has given his church. He says to younger men, you're to uh, treat them as brothers. See, this is what brothers are to do according to the scriptures in the family. They're to help, help lead out the mission of the family. They're to help the father. They're to, especially the oldest brother. But they're to help lead and protect and, and to care for those other siblings as well. We read it through Genesis that when uh, a, 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 the, the daughter or the sister of, of, of God's men was raped, the men went out and murdered all of them. That's not the answer you should do, but those men at least understood that, like, hey, if you mess with my sister, then we will mess with you. There's some sort of understanding that the sister was not just an autonomous person who gets to do whatever she wants and no one gets to care about her and she's free human, gets to make her own choices, but people loved and cared for her. And if they harmed her and violated her, then the men in the, the, in the, in the family stood up. We live in a day where men or women are violated and, and, and uh, 
looked at as objects, and then all the men in church, well, I can't say anything because, you know, feminism, and we can't do anything. It's just men, again, abdicating their responsibility. Brothers in the church, the men in the church look at the young women in the church as sisters to love, serve, and to protect. Additionally, the men in the church, or the women in the church, look at the, brother, the, the, the young men in the church and say, these are like my brothers. They're like my brothers. So when they ask to help and serve and care for me, they're like brothers. That can be annoying. I get it. Brothers can be annoying. I am one. But, but this isn't you are someone's project who they think that they, they're going to fulfill their uh, void, that their father issues through serving the ladies of the church. I don't know. Psychology has ruined Christianity. It's because Christians are not biblical. They're just psycho because they listen to psychology. Like that's where we're at in the world we live in. Treat the men in the church like fathers and brothers and the young women like mothers and sisters. And so the young men should, should go after one another. Like a brother who, who we're told throughout the scriptures, if anyone is caught in sin, men who are spiritual should go restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Sometimes gentleness, because they're brothers, feels like sparks. It's frustrating. And the young ladies should go after the, the, the other young ladies we see this in Titus 2, that the older women are investing the younger women. And if the older means 25 to 23, and that's all we got, that's what we do. How do you view one another? Do you view one another as blood-bought family? That Jesus has died in your place for your sins, invited you into his family, sealed you with his Holy Spirit, which testifies that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's what the scriptures tell us. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's just reiterating this. So he's saying, men, go after the men. Get them, train them, cultivate them, invest in them, help them. Young ladies, older ladies, go after the young ladies. Younger ladies, go after the sisters. Women in the church are to be mothers and daughters. Honor older women like you would a mom, he says. It means love, cherish. This is a familial love. Notice he says with all purity because he expects that some people might, you know, be perverted and go, you know what, I'm here to get, uh, there's women here. And, you know, that's one way you can grow a church is get a bunch of single women, all the guys show up, but there's no godliness. It's just, you know, youth group. That's what we call that. That's what it is. But adults do it. And there's whole churches and ministries that grow this way. This is to treat young women like they're your mother or your sister. You now, some of you, that, 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 that's just hard to do, and it brings up baggage, and it brings up struggles. And that's okay. God wants to redeem those things. He says with all purity. He says, honor young women as sisters. This is, this, is, uh, this is loving them, cherishing them. This is men, the way you love and serve the young ladies in the church is through caring and protect, protecting them. Ladies, how you love one another as sisters and, and, and mothers is that you uh, invest and teach and, and love one another. Actually, we should start here. You actually see the person across from you as your sister or brother or mother and father in Christ. Let's just start there. We even admit that, no, we're on the same team. I kind of like that person. Yeah, God did the adoption papers. Take it up with him. Like, well, then, I mean, it's not like God. At least we're getting somewhere. Your issues are not with one another. It's either with God or with the sin in your own life. Men and women in the church 
are to be a family and to encourage one another as a blood-bought family. You're a family. Additionally, he says to honor widows. So he moves into another category of people. So he's talking in general about uh, men and women, older men and younger men, uh, older women, younger women. And now he's talking about specifically widows, meaning uh, a woman who, has a, who had a husband and he's died or he's out of the picture for whatever reason. We've seen it to where uh, maybe uh, uh, they're locked up or, or maybe um, is just unable to provide anymore because of health reasons. All these things could be possible. And so he, he's not just, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about widows. And he says in verse, verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Now he's going to explain a lot about widows today. But, if, uh, but uh, bear with me, I'm going to try to explain how this fits in the whole context. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and then make some return for their parents, which means have some financial resources or make some money for, so that they can help pitch in and provide. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So a widow, someone whose husband is, is out of the picture, and what, he, what he's saying is oftentimes, I want you to see, especially in uh, the day in which Paul is writing to Timothy, a widow's, uh, if you're a widow, you, it meant you, you likely faced financial hardship. Likely. The reason being is because banking, savings, retirements looked different than they do now. So I do, we do have to understand there's a different context. Uh, uh, there are different struggles, but the principles are still the same here. In Acts 6, however, there was a, there's a time in which the, the, the widows, the Hellenistic, meaning the, the Greek widow, the, the Jewish uh, Greek widows who uh, were, were fighting with the uh, Hebrew uh, widows, uh, they all became Christians, but they were fighting with one another because of their cultural differences, and they were upset because one set of widows was getting treated uh, better than the others, specifically with food distribution, which we're going we're gonna to find out they call it enrollment later. There was an enrollment for daily distribution of food. There's so many widows that they created a whole ministry in the church, an office of the church called the diaconate. It's where we get the word deacon, and we have deacons who, who honor, love, serve widows. That's, that's where they first began their ministry. So Paul's going to come back to that here in a moment later. But he says, honor these widows. And he says, honor their family too. And he, he says it this way, that if, they're, if the widow has a child or a grandchild, uh, specifically meaning if they are, they are, they're able-bodied children or able-bodied uh, grandchildren who can love, serve, and provide for them, then, then let them do so. If they don't have any, that's different. Put them in the enrollment. Uh, and so there's a lot that might go into this, determining this. And, and so I need you to see this is not a black and white issue of how much income do they have and how much did they have and you know, what, what was stewarded well. This is, this is simply, he's trying to build principles where we're getting to, to responsibility. Who is responsible for those in your family? That's the overarching thing that he's going to get to. He says, if a widow then has an able-bodied children who, are, who, uh, who can work to provide, let them do so. Especially they're Christians. They're Christians. They should want to care for mom or grandmother. See, the reason why we struggle with this is because we struggle with the first part. See, it's a, if you don't see the women in the church as, as mothers and as sisters, you don't see the men as brothers and fathers, then you cannot do, uh, you cannot see a widow and want to help and step up and care. Additionally, if there's a family unit of, quote, Christians who have a widow, and they're unwilling to, to, to love, serve the, the widow, then that's the direction we're going. I mean, encourage them to, to get a job, he says, to make some return for their parents. 
He says this. He says, first then, let him, let him do this. He is not saying that all the responsibility, if the financial need is so great that it all falls on the, the believing children, maybe there's one believing child, and it all falls on them, and if they cannot you know, provide, then somehow they are satanic, satanic and ungodly. Saying they need to put effort out there. They need to try. They need to honor and respect the, the, their mother and their grandmother. They shouldn't say, well, not my mother, but my grandmother, not my problem. Not my house, not my problem. They're my family. Because see, if, they, if we can't do this to our own family, how can we then do this to the new family we have in the church? This is the principles that he's, he's laying out for us. So he, he's determining, what he's saying is every widow should, there should be an assessment done on what are their needs, what are their financial situation, and how can we best serve? And who is available in their family, to a believing family, to resource, if, re, if they have resources, how can, they, how can we encourage them to, to serve? It's hard the day and age we live in because people live in other countries, other states, other cities. It's just so different. If a widow has a believing family, they should first, that, that believing family member should first step up. Then the church. He's not saying instead and only. He's saying first. He says if they're truly widows, and that, but if they have believing children, let them step up first because then the church is going to come by behind them and support them. This is like we do children's ministry, just so you know. I'm not equating uh, widows or elderly to children. What I am doing is relating it to the children's ministry we have. Our job in the kids' ministry right now is not to disciple your children. That is your job. It is our job to help you disciple your children. The church, if, they have, if, there's, an, if there's a widow who has believing family who is able-bodied to, 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 to work and to care and to serve, it is the church's job to come alongside the believing family to help them. Sometimes that means flat-out financial provision. Sometimes that means doing uh, certain types of labor. Sometimes it means more. Sometimes it means doing less. Sometimes, it, But it's a working together. And that's what the church is. Why? Because we're a family. The church doesn't see the widow going, not my, not my mom, not my grandmother, not going to serve her. But they also don't, they don't serve her in such a way in which, or the, in which they say, your children have no dignity and value and can't participate. Inviting a family member to helping them love, serve, and care, oftentimes they want to, they just don't know how to, actually gives them dignity, actually gives them value. It gives them an opportunity to be used by God to be a blessing to their family member, which deep down inside they want anyway, and God has called them to, the church is to support that. That's what he's saying here. Additionally, verse 5, he says, uh, she was a tr- truly a widow, left alone, no help, no resources, no family, has her hope set on God. And continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she is, but there's, there's, that, there's that widow who's left alone, all alone. But she remembers that she's not alone, that Christ is with her, that he'll never leave her nor forsake her. And so she continues in faith, praying, asking, participating. Night and day, she's a part of God's family. She has her hope set on God. That's the one type of widow. And he said, there's another widow who's lonely, but she's, she's self-indulgent, verse 6 says, uh, who is self-indulgent, dead even while she lives. I'm not saying that uh, personally. I'm just saying what the scripture says. There's a type of widow who's just dead even though she's breathing. That's what Paul says. It sounds harsh. I mean, like, man, did he say that? I thought you were supposed to honor them. He's saying, yes, that is honoring to them. He's saying, 
If your life is not, if you, you're a widow in the church and you're, you're, you're hell-bent on your own destruction, you're dead even though you live. If your hope is not set on Christ, your hope was set on your husband, your hope was set on your kids, your hope was set on everything you had, and when it was taken away, you have no hope, you never had hope to begin with. That's what he's saying. Same is true for anyone, not just widows, but anyone who puts their hope in anything other than Jesus, when that thing is taken from them, they will be hopeless unless their hope is truly rooted and founded in Christ. Period. And so he says to command these things as well. Picking up from last week, command all the things that God told us to, to do. Additionally, command these things. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. He, he cares for godliness for these widows. He's commanding one first. He's not just commanding godliness for the widows, but he wants godliness for, for, for the believing family. He's commanding first that Christian family members should not neglect the widows in their family. And number two, that he's commanding that widows should put their hope in God. And do verse five. They should seek him. They should continue in their supplications and prayers and they should set their hope on God. So here's the, here's the, there's a lot of, in the academic world on this particular passage, there's a lot of criticism, particularly by feminist criticism about this passage. And it is, it is not, it is so prevalent, it has is, it is, it is made its way into not just the culture of America, but the culture of biblical uh, of, of scholarship. And, and many people have, have, have argued with Paul here, and they, for what twisted reason, think that he is trying, his ultimate goal here is trying to get Timothy to display some sort of patriarchal, misogynistic dominance over the elderly women, as a man, over the women. That's what, there's certain criticism that, that feels this way. And the reason, here's why, because that same type of feminism that's invaded our nation in, in our day has, has done this. It has told women that if they need help, there's something wrong with them. You don't need a man. You don't need help. You don't need anything. What we've done in our day because of this type of, uh, uh, of, of, of rhetoric is we've said we have linked, feminists have linked intrinsic value to a woman's, and in, 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 in uh, intrinsic worth and value to a woman's productivity in the workplace, job titles, accomplishments. If you accomplish this, if you have the same degrees as these men, you are somehow now more value. You're, you, you've now, you, Finally, proven your dignity and value. I'm not saying women shouldn't get degrees. I'm saying that when we've placed our hope on the value of a woman based off of the production of, of what she does, we're doing the same thing as a, in a wrong way that one would say she's only valued based off of the amount of kids she produces. Both are demonic and should be thrown in the pit of hell. The feminists just hijacked the the the... The, the, the Satan's version of telling a woman that her value is only in her, her being able to have children. So women, when we, we're gonna get to it later, when, I'm gonna, when Paul says, hey, you should get married, someone's gonna go in their heart, wow, your worth and value is only if you get married? No, it's not. See, we see in our day and age, we, we link value and dignity to productivity and production. 
Whether it be the, the having of children for a woman or the job security or the, 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 jo- the job longevity or the title that she could have at her work. Both do not give intrinsic value or worth. Intrinsic value and worth is for any human in this room and any human being, period, is not tied to what they do, who they are, how they feel, what they accomplish, what they could do if they had more opportunity, if they had more money. It's, it's tied to the fact, worth, value, and dignity are tied to the fact that we were made in the image of God. God has put his imprint on us. Who's the most valuable, most prized and precious being to ever be? It's the holy triune God who in his presence, the, even the angels will cover their face and body because his glory is so awesome. It's so radiant. There's so much value and worth in just simply his presence, his being. It overflows, therefore, in his creation. And he creates male and female in the image of God. Meaning that women and men both have their dignity, value, and worth not in anything else other than the fact that God has made them the way he's made them. We live in a day that will then say, well, I don't like the way God has made me. When we do that, what we are saying is that the author and perfecter made me a certain way and that, and he has not given me inherent dignity and value. Why? Because I am not like something or it's not like we, we find ways to, to cut out the dignity and value that God has given to every human on planet Earth. And the reason why is because we think that, well, if this baby doesn't have this, uh, if a baby's born with this deformity, it doesn't have dignity and value. Let's murder it in the womb. That's what we do. Call it a human right. Then we move to a person being born, and maybe they don't have the same job opportunity as another person. And so we're saying they're not valued because they're born in the slums of Kenya, Africa. God is not good because he allowed them to be born there. Or they're born with this deformity. They're born with this chromosome issue. They're not valued. That's America, that's Satan, and that is anti-gospel. Every person living and breathing is born with the, 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 the dignity and value of God. Self, the, the, the worth is beyond comparing. Therefore, when society tells you if you, can, if you just produce more, you just do more, you just have these, what they're doing is exchanging your value system, God's value system for theirs. And so many widows, therefore, many single moms feel that we don't need a man's help because my identity is wrapped up in who I am is what I do. And if I need help, if I need something, there's something wrong with me. If I can't figure out how to provide for myself, there's something wrong with me. If I can't figure out how to get myself out of the situation I got myself in, there's something wrong with me. Same thing for, for the, the men who, who seek to care. They're like, Man, I'm trying to provide for my family, but I can't make enough. There's something wrong with me. Your value is not in what you produce or the income you can make. Your value and dignity and worth is because you're made in the image of likeness of God. You can choose to worship him with that, what he has given you, or you can choose to squander it. 
So widows who are, who are, I need you to hear this. Widows who are lacking in resources are lacking in resources, not in value and dignity. It's a big difference. When we, when we unite them together, we go, well, I'm lacking in a resource, therefore there's something wrong with me. Not true. They're, they're lacking, the widows who are lacking in resources or the relatives who are lacking in resources are, are doing just that. They're lacking in resources, not in value. Do not reduce humans, human value to what they can produce or what someone's worth based off of that. And, and now he's, getting a, he's going to get at another issue that undergirds this whole thing. It's family, and respo- and family responsibility and provision. He says this in verse 8. He says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And Paul just called the, the widows uh, who were not godly dead, dead ladies walking. And now he just called the guy who won't provide worse than an unbeliever. Like he's... he's this is some pastoral warning from, from a, a, a guy who really loves this church. I need you to hear it that way. He says what he's speaking to now is he's moved, from, uh, he's moved to a general principle. The general principle of provision that actually underscores the previous points he's been making. So what he's saying, he's not, he's not just talking about the widows, but now he's talking about a kingdom principle. He, it's in the middle of his argument that's going to apply to what he has just said and to what is to come. Ultimately, this is how God has de- designed it, it from the scriptures. We, we go all the way back to Genesis, uh, that the husband is the head of the, the, the family. He's the head of the wife. He's then, therefore, ahead of his family. It is the husband's job to provide. That's why when the husband has, has died, they're saying, hey, the, the widows have need. See, if the husband wasn't taking responsibility for his wife and children, then... When, when he had passed away, there would be no reason for this verse. You see this? You understand this? Paul is saying that the husband is the, he's implying the husband is the head of the wife, head of the family, and then the children, the husband passes away, should step up and, and help out. But he is saying that, that there's an organization and responsibility to God's men, to the husband of a household first, and that's to provide. He's saying that if he doesn't provide, and if one doesn't provide for the family as they have opportunity, then they're worse than an unbeliever. Like your faith, show me your faith by your caring for your family, is what he's saying. The husband is not to just provide uh, as the head of his household, not just provide financially. He's, he's to provide emotionally, spiritually, physical protection for, for, the, for his children and for his wife. The needs he is to oversee, this means he is responsible. Therefore, if the responsible party to oversee uh, his wife and his children has passed away and, the kid, and there's no kids involved to help, then therefore the widow needs help. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. But we, what must not be missed is that men, your calling is one to responsibility. This doesn't work, right? If the man never took responsibility and, the, and his wife is essentially the widow with a roommate. His whole, the, there, there's men who in their marriage right now have punted on their responsibility, have given their portion of the curse to their wife. And because they've done that, they've abdicated their authority. The wife has not just the curse of the man and work and toil and certain labor, but also in, in bearing children. Eventually, that's, guess what's going to happen? That's going to end in divorce. Always happens when we do, do it that way. Or resentment. Or they have secret relationships with other people. 
Men, it's your calling. And then, then when the husband passes away, it doesn't matter because he was never really providing and a part and present anyway. Men, your calling is to take responsibility first for yourself in your relationship with God. That is your first priority, men. Take responsibility for your relationship with God. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has given you his spirit. Jesus wants to make you whole. And then he wants you to cultivate a relationship with a woman. Make her your wife. If you have one, keep investing in it. Keep investing in her. Cultivate a woman. Then bear fruit. Have children. Cultivate, care, love, serve them. Then also you're to have a vocation, a job, a career, someplace that allows you to provide for your family money. If all your job does is give you money to provide, stay at that one. That's a good one. If you can get another one where you're happy while doing it, awesome, do that one too. But it, it is not sinful for a man to simply work a job simply to provide. He's, in fact, he says that's what a believer does. That's what he says. Men, you are to reflect the nature and character of God in your entire life. Your God is a creator. He created the world. He is a cultivator. He cultivated the garden, and he sent Adam to do the same. He provided a helper, Eve. Men, you are to, your calling is first to God. Then it is to your wife because it is not good for man to be alone. You need a helper. You need a helper to help produce children, fruitfulness there, and to cultivate fruitful children. Moreover, you need, you need a woman to help you in your vocation and mission in your life. Some of you, if you feel that sounds outdated, it is so outdated that it was written in the beginning of Genesis. That's where we're going. That's where we're at. That's our job, men. Paul has articulated this. He will continue to articulate it. That is the type of, of, of responsibility he is speaking of here. Men, you're responsible to provide. To not just financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Paul says this is what it means for a man to image God. In 1 Corinthians, he tells men, you are the glory of God. The glory of God means you should reflect the nature and character of God. And men, I need you to see your value isn't in your resources either. In your, the amount of money you make, the amount of time you have, God has given you what he's given you, steward it well. Your value is not in your resources. Men, don't, you, you tend to believe this lie just like women believe the lie that we are what we can produce. It leads to depression. It leads to men feeling disrespected at home because they're like, I'm doing all this work. I don't feel, I don't feel respected. So I'm going to go find avenues to where I can get validation and have respect. It leads to the corrosion of the family. It leads to the, the punting of responsibility of a man. Your first calling is to Christ. He loves you. He's there for you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. It's then to your wife, then to your children. If there are no men, then the family, what, what Paul is talking about, if men do not do this, we cannot have the rest of the passage. We can't have, and men don't take responsibility. If, they don't, if they're not involved, like Paul is speaking to, then none of this makes sense. It means it doesn't make sense for the widows and their existence. It doesn't mean, it, it makes sense for the church and they're coming in and serving the widows. It doesn't make sense at all. So it underscores all of this and what gives energy and life and vitality to the church in order to do this is men taking responsibility for themselves, for their, for their family, and for their children, for their 
their vocation for the church. He says it this way. And men, when you do that, you can't, again, find your dignity and value in, your, in, in what you, you're, you're, you've already been made in the image and likeness of God. Just live that out. Live it out. Older widows. Now he moves to them. Verse 9. Let a widow who has been enrolled, see, he's talking about this enrollment, if she is not less than 60 years of age, or sorry, if she's not less than six years of age, having been the, the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, she has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. What he's talking about is the, the lady, the, this is, there's an enrollment process, uh, a, a deacon ministry, a, a literally a list for the deacons to love, serve, and care for these widows. And he's talking about widows, and he speaks to them in their age, and the older ones enroll them. And he talks about their, he, he's honoring them. He's honoring these particular women, these widows, in that they were the husband or the, the wife of one husband. They have good reputation for good works. And so I'm going to do something that, uh, uh, you know, Rosie's not going to want me to do. But, hey, I want to honor Rosie. Rosie, you are we have a widow. Those who don't know, I'm not gonna, uh, I won't look at you, Rosie, but I'll dishonor you. Uh, so you don't want to be pointed out. Uh, Rosie was our first widow. She was our first widow. She is this, though. I want to honor her because I, I want to teach us how to honor mothers in, in the church. She was the husband, she was the wife of one husband. She, her reputation among us, and, and many of you know this, she's, it's one of good works. Rosie loves. Jesus loves people, sacrifices, serves. She, she's, she's faithfully, always, consistently, and she maybe not perfectly because, you know, we're all sinners, but seeking to care for those who, are, who, who may be in need or those who don't know Jesus and with evangelism. This is, she's, she has a great reputation for good works. She's brought up children. She has shown hospitality to many of you, to me. She has washed the feet of saints, meaning she's been sacrificial and caring. She's cared for the afflicted. She's devoted herself to good work. So I want to honor her. And really, it's not Rosie will tell you this. It's not her. It's Christ working in her. She also has this believing son. His name's Jason. I won't look at him either. He's 21, just turned 21. It's been quite some time that he's been walking through this life, having a mother for a widow, a learning what it's like to, to reach portions of, of, of life as a, as a man. Men in the church, you're, you're spiritual fathers and spiritual brothers to him. Rosie's a spiritual mom to many. She is like a spiritual grandmother to many as well. Honor them, care for them, come alongside of them, walk with them. Our church has been, they, we have served them well, but I want you to see this is what, the, 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 we're not just speaking about the text, about theoretical things. We literally have a deacon list of people who are, quote, enrolled. Not just widows, but even single moms. Until they get a believing husband, they're on the roll. Those who maybe, not, maybe if they uh, don't have a believing relative, we consider that an orphan, or they have no believing relative that they have access to, we, they're on our deacon role to, to meet, love, care, serve, and, 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 they, and we do it in a way that, that gives them dignity and value, helps them, helps them participate in God's work, but our deacons are assigned to them, to love, serve, and care for them. And so 
this is what that looks like. Our deacons will literally gather tomorrow. They'll pray over our church and, and, and see any felt needs that are there. We've helped with rats. We've done handyman labor work, physical needs, emotional needs. We have ladies who will help care for, for certain emotional needs and spiritual needs and be present because we're a family. That's why we do this. The single moms, the, 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 or even the single ladies who, who may not have a believing family member, we want to enroll them to help them. We're going to do so with the younger women differently than the older women. And this is because we're told to do that. And it says why here in verse 11. He says, refuse to enroll younger widows. So what he's referring to is their their specific enrollment that's providing almost all the needs. What he's saying is, refuse to enroll uh, specific uh, or uh, their specific enrollment for for younger widows. For when their here's why for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. He's not saying marriage is an issue. I'll get to what he's saying here in a moment. Marriage is good, but they desire to marry the wrong guys. How come all the the most wicked dudes try to hook up with the single moms. Because they're predators, that's why. That's why the minute, how, there's been times, literally, I'm telling real stories, where there has been a man, a, a guy who was dating one of our single moms, uh, you know, wooing her with money, wooing her with his attention. Uh, he threatened her in the parking lot one day, and so we threatened him. On the same way, told him not to come back. Not to ever talk to a woman that way. Not to ever do that. He then laid hands on her and choked her. He showed back up. We told him never come back. Like, there, we are a very, you don't do that to women. We will run guys off like that. The sad reality is a lot of the, the ladies will run off with him anyway. Take his side. They don't know what it's like to have a, a godly big brother. They don't, all they know is abuse in their family. So they go wander off because the, we need the men in the church to, to see our sisters, our single moms, our, our widows, our, our orphans. We, to see them as sisters who we can love, serve, protect. When they start dating someone who's a nut job. We tell them he's a nut job and tell him to get a real job. And then maybe he can date her. But become a Christian. Show us that it's legitimate. Who we'll love to walk with you. I tell guys all the time, to their face, that a man who won't submit to spiritual authority is the worst, most dangerous man in the room. I told that to the man who then later threatened and choked his girlfriend. He wouldn't submit to spiritual authority. He wouldn't let anyone in on his life. He wanted to use this young woman. And so Paul's saying, listen, young women are vulnerable, especially if they're moms. It's good that they marry, but, but what can happen is they can, they can see a guy and chase the wrong guy. Or they forsake their identity and who they are in Christ, and they, ch- they find their identity in, I'm a single mom. I'm a, this is my, my identity as a, as, a, as a career, their job. Whatever cultural idols exist, what we're to do is teach them godliness to come alongside and cultivate 
them, to love them like sisters. He says, besides that, they learn to be idlers. He says, what this means is when you, when you take a young widow uh, and you, you, you provide what I call a welfare state for widows, you get this. They learn to be idlers going from house to house, not only uh, idlers, but also gossipers and busybodies, and they say what they should not. What he's saying is that if you don't allow, if, you ha- if there's this young widow who has, who has uh, time, she has opportunity, uh, and you strip her of her calling as a helper, you strip her of her value as a, a productive member of society, you, you strip her of a, her mission, um, you, and create a welfare state for, for widows, and if you're just a widow, we come, we provide everything, and she has no, no mission to be a part of, nothing to do, she becomes a busybody and uh, a slanderer, and she comes uh, worthless, and she really uh, doesn't serve Jesus, his church, she just gets tossed to and fro by the, the times. And so he says, what should you do then? What should you do? He says this, verse 14, you should incur, this is what he says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, give the adversary, who is Satan, no occasion to, for slander. For some have already strayed to say, after Satan. I get this, I get so much trouble for saying this all the time. Whether you're, I, I, single ladies, we always, always say, hey man, I'm praying for you to have a husband. I've, so many times ladies have just been so upset. I can't believe you're telling me you're praying for me to have a husband. Do you think my worth is only in me getting a husband? It's like, I literally did not say that. I just simply said, I'm praying for you. Did you want a husband? She's like, yeah, absolutely, I, I do. Okay, so I'm just praying with you for what you want. You know, that's what it is. That's what I'm doing. So many of you in here were, were once single ladies and now you're married. Praise God. I know most of the marriages in here. This is awesome. But God wants, you need to see this. This is, it, he said what he said. He wants them to get married and have children. God, because God wants women and men to get married and have children. He wants single moms to get married. He wants young widows to get married not to some nut job, but to some godly man. Singleness, hear this. Singleness is a rare, not to be sought after gift. Rare gift, not to be sought after. If you have to seek after the gift, that means you don't have it. I gotta, I gotta seek my way to be single. And then come to find out it's a gift. That's not a gift. It's, it's, it's a rare thing. Is there a gift of celibacy that one abstains from marriage? Yes. It's rare, though. It's a gift from God. If you have any desire for the opposite sex, you don't have it. Most, most, most individuals should be married. God said it himself. Adam, when he was sinless, said, It is not good that man be alone. If you ever met a single guy, you'll agree. It's not good. You should have seen me in my house. I never washed my sheets my entire life until I got married. Entire life. I, it's, I washed maybe my clothes with someone else's laundry because they were going to do it because I didn't need it. I wore the same white shirt day after day. And when it got dirty, so dirty, you couldn't get it clean out of the pool, I bought new ones. It was not good that I should be alone. I wear deodorant now, frequently. 
Hear me not this every day, frequently. My wife has taken and cultivated someone with grooming habits and clean clothes and a bed that smells like fresh linens. Marriage is not a result of the curse. Marriage existed before the curse. It is God who said that that it is not good for man to be alone. You were designed to be married. We don't teach that in the church anymore. To say everything I just said is like, is, is, it rubs some of you the wrong way. We don't teach that anymore in the church. We tell, we tell individuals to just be you. Delay your adolescence. Don't. Marriages, yeah, I heard someone say recently uh, that, man, you shouldn't really think about getting married till 30 because, you know, like there's a lot of life you need to live in your 20s. Yeah, a lot of foolishness can be had in your 20s. Delaying adolescence, responsibility, premarital sex, pornography. If that doesn't work, you know, with your multiple sex partners, you know, just there's abortions, there's things like that to fix your problems. There's vaccines now that can help your deviant sex. Just we got to find ways to keep doing what God has forbidden. And then to say then, oh, well, hey, God designed for one man to one woman to be in relationship forever. Enjoy as much sex as they desire in the context of covenant marriage. That's offensive. It's because we worship sex as God and worship self as God. We've forsaken the idea that God has that marriage is a gift for a man and for a woman. That if done God's way results in flourishing of humanity. Literally, the, the husband and wife would be a picture of the gospel of Christ's love for the church. We're almost out of time. I'll say this before we move to the last verse. Ladies. You were created to join a man on a mission. That's why Eve was created. It was not good for Adam to be alone. Eve was created to join Adam in their God-given mission. A man is designed to lead the mission. A woman is designed to come alongside the mission. That's what marriage is. And I tell you this, when Adam and Eve, find, when they got married and had a call in their life, a mission, Satan showed up and tried to destroy that. Satan's still trying to show up in marriages, trying to destroy that. Satan's trying to to show up and and keep marriages from happening. He's trying to show up to to, to keep men and women from seeing that their God-given responsibilities are something to be valued and to pursue. Satan has shown up, and he's still showing up. And I'll tell you this, women, you are great helpers. You're great at helping missions flourish. Some of you will be really offended by that. Please don't, because you have the same role and responsibility as the Holy Spirit. He's called a helper. What does the Holy Spirit do? He helped Jesus' ministry flourish with power. He helped the apostles' ministry, the church's ministry, flourish with power. The Holy Spirit is a helper. And the Holy Spirit doesn't look at the Godhead and say, you know what, I'm less valuable because all I'm doing is helping. I want the big brother mission. Oh, no, I want to be the father. You know who did that? Satan, and he got kicked out of, the, out of heaven. If you want to get kicked out of the family of God, act like that. Ladies, act like that. 
Say, helper doesn't have dignity, doesn't have value. Joining my husband uh, to help him on mission is misogynistic, narrow-minded. Awesome. You just joined the ranks of Satan. Say, God's ways are foolish. And men, your responsibility is to be responsible so that the right women will want to marry you. To help you, to actually have a mission that they would want to come alongside, to help cultivate and, and, and join you in. Men and women are not in competition, they're compliments. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not in competition, they're compliments. I hope you see that. Christian women, widows in the church, lastly, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let, let her care for them, that the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. I'll end with this. Single moms, widows, you are not a burden, but you have burdens that need help to be carried. Please don't hear him say that what he's saying, don't burden the church. Some of you think that if, if you bring any issues to the deacons in the church, you're burdening them. No, you have burdens that need more shoulders to bear the weight, the load. You are not a burden. So that's what I need us to see in closing. I need you to see in closing. And it's not just widows who feel that maybe they're a burden to the church or maybe you feel like you're a burden to God or you're a burden to your community group. You just have all these issues. You have all the sin, the secret sin, these issues, and you just feel like a burden. You feel like the weight, uh, or maybe you feel like you're a burden to yourself and the weight of responsibility. The, 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 the causation and the results of all your sin have left you just to feel just depressed, isolated, alone. Widows often feel, single moms often feel isolated and alone. But also the rebellious person who's Whose their life has been hijacked because of their sin and they have so many skeletons in the closet they feel they share, then the church won't let them in so they remain silent and alone. Or the, the religious person who's constructed an image of themselves that is just a, a good person on the outside but inwardly every time you're in a group you're just hoping that no one finds out who you really are and you're bearing a burden of guilt and shame. See, we're all messed up. We've all fallen short. We all are without hope unless someone steps in. And that's exactly what the God of the Bible has done. The Bible describes us as, as not just uh, helpless, but, but sinful. He describes us as, as guilty, needing of forgiveness, needing of righteousness, needing of help. See, the widow and the single mom may struggle to ask for help, but so will the righteous and arrogant other person. See, in order to come to Christ, you must admit that you need help. In order to come to Christ, you must believe, you have to admit that, that you were wrong. In order to come to Christ, you gotta, you gotta admit that you're a sinner. In order to come to Christ, you gotta admit that you failed. In order to come to Christ, you have to admit that you are not the Savior, but you need one. And that's what the God of the Bible did. He sent Jesus Christ 
on a rescue mission to seek and save not just the widow, not just the single mom, not just the rebellious teenage, not just the rebellious adult, not just the brothers, not just the fathers, not just the mothers, but, in, but everyone, the sister, everyone he sent to save, the religious, the rebellious, to seek and save that which was lost. He did that by substituting himself as a penalty for the sin that they accrued. All the sin, past, present, and future of every single person who's ever lived, Jesus took the penalty for it. And it was a death sentence. Crucified, murdered, beaten, hung on a cross for you. For you. Why? To make you part of his family. To bring you into the kingdom. Jesus cares for his relatives. If you are in Christ, he cares for you. He can meet your needs. And maybe he's set up the church to help come alongside and care for you. But if you can't admit you need help in regards to your salvation, how are you going to ask for help within the kingdom, within the church, within the family? Do you see yourselves as a part of a family? Do you see yourself as, as, a, as a son or a daughter or a mother or a, or a father, a part of a family who God the Father is the head. Jesus, the big brother, is our Savior. The Holy Spirit is the, the, the Spirit who unites and seals us, whom, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and by whom we are sealed for redemption, by whom we testify that we are children of God. Do you, how do you see yourself? Are you just an isolated family unit or have you been brought into the kingdom? Are you a part of the family? If you're part of the family, then let's treat one another as family. Older men as fathers. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. All in purity. Let's do that. We're going to respond right now. I'm going to pray, and then we're going, to, we're going to take a family feast together through the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, please bless us as we respond to your word. May we surrender our lives to you, our wants to you, our dreams to you, our, our identities to you. May we see that we are part of a family that has organization, that, has, that our identity is not wrapped up in what we do or what we can do, but, but who, whose we are, we are yours. There's a lot to process, a lot to think about. Lord, would you continue to apply this word to our hearts as we respond? May we see, though, through all this, that we are family, that you've invited us to be a part of your family, and it's from there that we live out what was just taught. Bless us to that in Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.